This episode is sponsored by Meltwater. Today, over 40% of internet users rely on social media to research new brands, according to the 2023 Global Digital Report by Meltwater and We Are Social. Is your social media strategy helping you meet your audiences on the right channels at the right time? Make sure it is with Meltwater's suite of data-rich social and media intelligence solutions. Over 27,000 organizations use Meltwater to understand and engage their audiences so they can break through the marketing noise. Learn how at meltwater.com. From there, you can request a demo, schedule a meeting, or watch a video on how it all works. While ads are going to be, I think, always be an important part of this you know, puzzle for, uh, you know, internet companies, I think it's going to be tricky for these um, AI search bots, and it might not quite fully do the trick in terms of generating enough uh, revenue. Hey gang, it's Monday, March 13th. Gajo, Jacob and listeners, welcome to the Behind the Numbers Daily, an e-marketer podcast made possible by Meltwater. I'm Marcus. Today I'm joined by two folks. Let's meet them. We start with one of our senior analysts who writes the connectivity and tech briefings based in New York. It's Gajo Sevilla. Hi, everybody. Hey, fella. We're also joined by one of our analysts on the connectivity and tech briefings based in California. It's Jacob Bourne. Hey, everybody. Hello, hello. So, gents, today's fact, where did Dr. Pepper come from? A question I'm sure you've asked yourselves <laughs> daily. Well, in case you have been, Dr. Pepper was invented in Waco, Texas in 1885 by a pharmacist named Charles Alderton uh, while working at Wade Morrison's Old Corner Drugstore. Alderton noticed how patrons love the sweet smell of the soda fountain and decided to create a drink that tasted like that familiar smell. And apparently, Wade Morrison, the drugstore owner, named it Dr. Pepper after Dr. Charles Pepper, a Virginia doctor who was the father of a girl that Morrison was once in love with. So he named it after the girl he was in love with's father. I'm sure his now wife, if he got married, loves that. But that's where it apparently came from. The name's up for debate or in dispute because this is according to Dr. Pepper's website, but I did see a few other theories out there. But yeah, that's where it came from. Also, something to come out of Waco is Jake's Texas Tea House, which is like one of the best diners in the whole country. I've been there once. I'll be stopping through this weekend on my way up north. So uh, yeah, I'll see you soon, Waco. Anyway, today's real topic, marketers and companies developing relationship with AI. In today's episode, we will be covering how AI search ads work, the potential reputational damage uh, that AI-generated content could do to a brand, and also what ChatGPT can do for businesses today. That's all in the lead, no in other news today. So we'll start with AI search ads, uh, gents. So Catherine Perloff and Patrick Kolb of Adweek write that as Microsoft and Google race to integrate the next wave of language AI into their respective search engines, the push has left questions about what these new conversational formats will mean for how ads are served. AI systems like ChatGPT could offer folks a more interactive way to access internet information. But how Microsoft and Google will monetize their investments in this tech with paid placements is so far unclear to ad buyers. 
So, gents, how are AI search ads most likely to work? I can start. I think uh, similar to the way Bing chat works now. So, you know, you put in keyboards, it generates uh, a response based on the AI. So it could do the same with either links, ads, or even video content from within that search page. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation we can anticipate about how it's going to be integrated. And I think we see that just in the internet as a whole. I mean, ads get crammed in every nook and cranny. I don't think there's any reason to think that you know generative AI is going to be any different. I think we're going to see companies try and experiment with all types of ad placement. And it actually might end up annoying some users. And so we'll see probably some premium offerings where you know users can pay to kind of get ad-free experiences. Mm-hmm. So two ways this could be different to potential concerns here in terms of AI search ads. One remains about how monetization will fit into the flow of a chatbot conversation. So when, uh, what will it, after every question, do you put links? Like, how is that going to look in the flow of a conversational kind of text box or a, a voice conversation? And then the second is pricing. So uh, if they're likely to be fewer impressions in a chat versus a search query because conversations are more complex. Any thoughts on those two concerns, gents? The where to put ads in a chatbot conversation and also the pricing issues? I think the placement of the ads, if it's something like a discussion, you know, they could hand you off to the client's chatbot uh, and that could be done seamlessly. And the next mm-hmm. thing you know, you know, the, you're interacting with the brand's chatbot. And so that, that sort of drives you deeper into, into that discussion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in terms of the, the pricing, this is probably going to be a tough one to pencil out for tech companies um, running these programs. I think generative AI has a reputation for having very high compute costs. And so mm. we might actually see ad revenue not quite suffice to you know, pay those bills. And one of the things we see from Microsoft so far is that, I mean, starting in May, it's hiking its prices for its Bing search API by as much as 900%. And the reason for that is to try and help pay for these search improvements. So while ads are going to be, I think, always be an important part of this you know, puzzle for uh, you know, internet companies, I think it's going to be tricky for these um, AI search bots, and it might not quite fully do the trick in terms of mm-hmm. generating enough uh, revenue. Yeah. Interesting. Recent, so Reuters recently reporting that Microsoft was speaking with marketers about what its AI ads might look like, as within the Bing chatbot, they were saying could be featured higher on the page than traditional search ads. And ad group Omnicom pointed out that search ads could generate lower revenue in the short term if the chatbots take up the top of search pages without including any ads. So there's lots to work out here. Another ad week piece, though, Gents by Mr. Culp, Patrick Culp, notes the rise of AI content generation stirs brand reputation fears, with Gartner predicting that 80% of marketers will deal with content authenticity issues by 2027. 80% of marketers dealing with content authenticity issues by 2027 because of the rise of AI content generation. How big of a problem will potential brand reputational damage become in an AI content generated world? And what can brands do about it? Jacob, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a massive problem. And it's going to come from various sources. For The, the first source is actually going to be internal. So 
you know, these generative AI products are supposed to save companies time. And so that might mean internal quality control issues as, you know, marketing teams, you know, generate these ads. So I think there's a role there for just internal, you know, vetting of what they produce. But then I think there's going to be external issues where, you know, a firestorm potentially of, you know, AI generated spam content could be used to impersonate brands. And that's going to be a huge problem to deal with. And I think for the companies themselves, they're really going to depend on, you know, the people, you know, the ISP providers and search engines to really deal with that problem. Mm -hmm. I think another problem that we might see in terms of placing the ads right in with the chatbot responses is that we might see instances where ads appear alongside problematic content or content Mm -hmm. that the brand doesn't really want to be associated with. Mm-hmm. And given generative AI's unpredictable nature, that could also be another issue that might be difficult to to deal with. Yeah, because there's just a lot more. There's also just a lot more. The great points is just a lot more content that can be created in a generative AI yes. world. And so more content to sift through for a reputational kind of management sake. And when things go wrong, I mean, it doesn't take much to really tarnish a brand. And there was right. one example when things go wrong in an AI world, so KFC's German arm sending out a promotion based on a Holocaust reference in mm. November of last year, which it blamed on an automated system within the company. So you've got to check content coming from within the company, as you mentioned, Jacob, and content coming um, elsewhere as well. There is an initiative here, though, Content Authenticity Initiative, formed in 2019 by brands, tech companies, and media outlets to develop technical standards and tools to distinguish between real and fake content. So there are some initiatives, but it seems like a heck of a, yeah. a task. And, and the more advanced the generative AI becomes, the harder it's going to be to detect yeah. you know, what's fake and what's real. Yeah. This problem becoming more and more of a thing as time goes on. Gartner predicting 30% of outbound marketing messages, 30% from large organizations will be synthetically generated by AI in the next two years. And that four out of five enterprise marketers will have established content authenticity functions to protect against misinformation and other harm form of fake material by 2027. Let's move to the question of how responsible or irresponsible we see companies and marketers being advertisers being in terms of what they're telling the public regarding how much artificial intelligence is in upcoming or could be in in upcoming products because insider intelligence senior director of marketing retail and tech briefings jeremy goldman notes that the federal trade commission the ftc is advising advertisers of ai products not to make promises they can't keep cautioning companies against making false or exaggerated claims about ai capabilities in their ads so my question is is there a way of measuring the level of ai in a product or service so that there's something to check against and the comparison here i've got is similar to autonomous vehicles so the society of automotive engineers sae defines six levels of driving automation ranging from zero fully manual to five fully autonomous these levels adopted by the u.s department of transportation so zero is no automation then it's driver assisted partial conditional high automation and then full automation is at the other end of the spectrum will we see a similar or does it exist is there or will there be a similar classification scale for ai so we can check these claims from folks in terms of how much ai is in their products against a measurable indicator i do not think one exists right now 
Um, and so I think transparency, that's one of the bigger issues surrounding generative AI. We've seen, you know, companies who employ this without, you know, spelling it out, getting into trouble and later on saying, hey, it was, it was an experiment. It, it wasn't meant to be right. a, a product, right? So I think the burden of proof or you know, finding ways to give similar to nutritional information when AI is used falls on, I guess, the marketers or the product managers just to say, you know, this is this amount of information is generated, at least in the beginning, until, you know, such a system as the one you're talking about for, for autonomous vehicles can be determined, right? I think it's happening in such a fast pace that, uh, you know, right now the standards are still kind of lagging behind the innovation. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, even the autonomous vehicle system is pretty messy. And I think that generative AI is going to be even messier in terms of mm-hmm. ranking it. And I think the reason for that is you think about an autonomous vehicle, it has one objective and that's to drive a car safely. With AI models, there are going to be all kinds, I mean, there already are all kinds of products that function in different ways. And so assessing them with one level system, I think is probably going to be impossible. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. So it's we're not going to see one, a one size fits all system. What we might see, for example, with search bots, is ranking their level of accuracy. I think that might be one mm. uh, way that they mm. can you know come up with some you know vetting uh, benchmark. Yeah. And I think it's you know you know from a regulatory perspective, I think the important things is just for companies just yet yeah, to be responsible about how they're marketing their products and that it really is on par with what the consumer is going to expect in terms of its use. Yeah. And I think we already have examples, you know, Genevieve is in its nascent stages so far. We already have examples of that not happening. And one recent one is just, you know, a user trying to perform an AI search and the bot starts, you know, love bombing the user uh, versus, you know, generating uh, search results for a rake, for example. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that really shows how unpredictable a generative AI can be. I mean, yeah. I think there's definitely things that can be done to mitigate those kinds of extreme cases. But knowing that the FTC is really going to be you know, targeting this very issue, I think you know companies really need to take it seriously. Yeah. Well, and Jeremy in his article was noting the FTC planning to create a new department and also increase the number of technologists it employs with a focus on AI as well. But yeah, you made great points, gents. And Jacob, your point about it is just being incredibly messy. I mean, you've got zero to you know, sentient, um, <laughs> sentient. So being like self-awareness, like human level yeah. intelligence, something that can pass a Turing test. Um, and then you've got just like everything in between. It's not linear at all. And uh, even autonomous cars is, is trying to be linear in terms of its progressions from step one to two to three, but with AI, it's all over the shop. Final question here, gents, then Eric Holtzclaw, a co-founding partner and chief strategist at Liger Partners just wrote a piece in Inc. saying he's been using ChatGPT for his business for a month. And it's already saved him a whole work week within just one month uh, and nearly $8,000. How? 
Well, he points to a few ways. One, researching topics quickly. Two, adding meta descriptions to the pages of the websites they manage. And number three, making sure descriptions are accurate. So asking ChatGPT what it thinks a company product or service does, comparing the result with an evaluation of alternatives. If the description is off base, it points to a need to improve existing content. But Gajra, I'll start with you. What to you is, or some of the, the biggest things that AI like ChatGPT uh, so generative uh, can do for businesses today? Yeah, I think today we can expect it to be a good assistive tool. For example, you can have, you know, a voice AI that listens in on meetings, takes down notes, and then proactively schedules agendas. Mm. Like in the case that you mentioned, a research bot that could sift through data to determine redundant sources and grade mm. the quality of the content. So, these are fairly low impact, repetitive tasks that can be done you know, with large data sets and clearly, you know, could accelerate a lot of processes and save a lot of money. Yep. Jacob, how about for you? Yeah. I mean, these are, of course, powerful tools with a lot of long-term potential. I think right now we're seeing a lot of pressure on companies to adopt mm -hmm. these tools. And I think the way companies might want to think about approaching it is really how generative AI can serve as more creative inspiration versus trying to think of using it as a shortcut. I think there's a risk of you know, quality you know, declining as a result of just purely looking at the time savings versus looking at how can we really be more creative in our work using these tools as a, you know, for collaboration versus as a replacement of, of certain functions. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in the near term, Probably one of the highest productivity gains I think we're going to see from generative AI is from code completion tools like Copilot and to a certain extent ChatGPT. Huh. Um, uh -huh. I think that's really where the big money savings is going to be for companies. Yeah. Um, well, that's all we've got time for for the lead. It's time now, of course, for the post-game report. So, gents, a couple of takeaways from you, Gajo. I'll start with you. A quick 10-second takeaway from the first half and our conversation about marketers and companies developing relationship with AI. Yeah, so I think, you know, with the race to sort of be first and be ahead, there's always a danger of, uh, you know, over-promising what AI can do. And mm -hmm. you don't want to find out through some mishap that you were incorrect or maybe too eager to push the technology. So you know, definitely needs guardrails. Now, can companies and marketers kind of hold that thought or... You know, are we just going to see just a race uh, happening? Yeah, it's going to be a supreme balancing act. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> Jacob, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that, you know, companies should be thinking about when they're adopting, you know, ChatGPT and other similar tools is that AI does not know or understand what, you, you know, the goal of your project is. <laughs> when it, <laughs> if, if and when it gets to that point, then we really need oversight. So there's never going to be a time where we can just use these tools without, you know, human oversight. And so I think going forward, it's really about, yeah, you know, companies experimenting with how to get the most gain uh, from these tools while also considering what could be lost by, you know, adopting them and, and really trying to mitigate those losses. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what we've got time for for this episode. Thank you so much, gents, for hanging out today. Thank you to Gajo. Thank you. Thank you, of course, to Jacob. Thank you, Marcus. And thank you so much to Victoria, who edits the show, James, who copy edits it, and Stuart, who runs the team. Thanks to everyone for listening in. We'll see you tomorrow, hopefully, for the Behind the Numbers Daily, an e-marketer podcast made possible by Meltwater, where we'll be talking all about the digital healthcare consumer. Hey.
Yeah.